Awesome. Well, good morning, everyone. And those, those that are joining us online, we want to welcome you as well. Thanks for joining in uh, today. Um, I'm, I'm really excited about this morning, and I trust you are as well. Sorry, I wasn't talking to the online service. I was talking to this <laughs> service, just making sure. Okay, we're all ready to go for today? Okay, <laughs> wonderful. Awesome. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm excited for today simply like I am every Sunday. Uh, but I guess because what it is, the Lord has really been speaking to me uh, regarding Impact Life Church. And that's where you're at. For those of you that didn't know when you walked into the building this morning, or those that you may be watching, you're going, where am I right now? You're at Impact Life Church. And, uh, you know, it's just been really unique uh, over this past little while, the Lord's just been stirring some things in my heart, and I'm, I'm excited to share it with you, uh, as it brought a lot of correction to me, it brought a lot of stirring and excitement in me at the same time. So there's a plethora of emotions that are going on, so be ready for that, all right? So if you got your Bibles, I want you to turn with me. We're going to go through a bunch of different verses here, because uh, a verse, or a script, I guess a question that the Lord asked me just a couple of weeks ago was, what is the church to be known for? What is it supposed to be known for? And I guess what you see, especially throughout the New Testament in the epistles, which are Paul's letters to the church, you really find out what the churches are known for. So, for example, we're going to start off here in Romans chapter 1, verse 8. And I want you just to see this for a moment, but the Holy Spirit again highlights or says something about each of these churches, what they were known for. So I want to just highlight to you today, again, some of these churches, uh, what they were known for. And so in the church in Rome... This is what the Apostle Paul says. He says, I give thanks to God for all of you because the testimony of your strong, persistent faith is spreading throughout the world. What was the church in Rome known for? It's strong, persistent faith continually and is being spread everywhere. That's a good thing to be known for. Amen? Right? It's to be strong in faith. Secondly, now, I want you to look at the, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, the church in Corinth what were they known for? I mean, just if you think of it even from a natural perspective, if you kind of blurt out a couple of different churches, even locally or, you know, globally, if I were to say a couple of different churches, you would probably have different thoughts or like, oh, I've heard this about this church, or maybe you've experienced that church. It all came and it's, it's, it's powerful, it's wonderful. Well, the church in Corinth is another example. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, in verses 4 and 5, it says this, I always thank my God for you and for the gracious gifts he has given you now that you belong to Christ Jesus. Verse 5, through him, God has enriched your church in every way. Remember, we're talking about what is this church is known for. So Rome was known for a church that it had persistent, steady faith. The church in Corinth, God has enriched your church in every way with all of your eloquent words and all of your knowledge. Now, if you read 1 Corinthians, anybody read 1 Corinthians? Okay. What do you see in chapters 12, 13, 14? You hear about the gifts of the Spirit, right? Right? It's all wrapped up in there. So what would happen in a church service, the Corinthians would get together and they would, you know, first of all, it wasn't a whole lot of pretty things taking place, but, you know, they would sometimes would come show up drunk to church because they already had communion at home. And then they would drink it all there. Like it was a kind of a gong show. So all of a sudden they would be, you know, somebody would have a word during the worship. Stop for a minute. I got a word. Somebody would share a word. Another person would interrupt that and go, they would start speaking in tongues. Another person, I got a prophecy. Hold up. And they would just start shouting out. It was constant going on everywhere. And so he's saying, hey, you've been blessed with every gift, every eloquent word. That's great. And that's where you see the Apostle Paul even said, but we got to bring decency and order to this because it's just wow. Right, So we know that, but at the same time then, what else do we know about the Corinthian church? Just slide down to verse 10 here for a moment. 1 Corinthians 1.10. Then he says, I urge you, my brothers and sisters, for the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
to agree and live in unity with one another and to put to rest any division that attempts to tear you apart, be restored as one united body, living in perfect harmony, form a consistent choreography among yourselves, having a common perspective or perspective with similar values. So what else do we know about the Corinthian church? If you read 1 Corinthians 1, 2, and 3, you actually see that the Bible calls them your babies. They were spiritual babies. That's what they were known for. Why were they spiritual babies? Because there was division among them. One of them said, I like Paul. Another would go, man, forget Paul. I like Peter. They go, no, I don't forget about Peter. I like Apollos. And then there's always a spiritual group that say, well, I like Christ. <laughs> that wins. Hands down, that wins. But you actually find the apostles saying, well, who is Paul? Who is Peter? Who is Apollos? We're all just servants of the Lord. So you can see that there was division among them because of who they listened to or what they liked or even like for this, what kind of worship we listened to, what we like about this. It became a very carnal church, you actually find out, simply because there was divisions among them based on I like this, I like that. So he's saying, let there be unity among you, common, sharing common values of one heart and of one mind. That's what the Corinthian church was known for. Then you go down, you see the Galatian church. What would you say is the Galatians church? What would you recognize them as? Huh? Being led astray from the spirit. Give that girl a skittle. That's there. There it is. Look at this. Galatians chapter 1 verse 6. What do we know? And the Galatia was, it was a region. So it's not just one church, but it's churches in that area. And it says, this is again what the Spirit of God through the Apostle Paul is saying. He's saying, I am so shocked over how quickly you have strayed away from the one who called you in grace, uh, the grace of Christ. I'm frankly astounded that you now embrace a distorted gospel. What was the gospel that they were listening? It was Jesus plus my works equals salvation. Where in fact, the grace message is what? It's Jesus and what he did for you. That's it. Right? It's not Jesus and plus how good you've been equals your salvation. No, because if that's the case, then Jesus didn't even need to die. If I could get in by the, my works, but it's only Jesus. And so the Galatian area, that region, you know, some creeps got in there and started speaking a whole different gospel that included you having to do something in order to experience something. I mean, no, that's not the good news of Jesus. The good news of Christ is the work has already been provided. And so what's my job now? I believe it, I receive it, and I proclaim the good news of that gospel. Right? Okay, that's the Galatian church. Now, the Ephesians church, what were they known for? Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15. He says this. Uh, because of this, I mean, just listing off all the good things of God. He says, I, when I first heard about your strong faith, right, in the Lord Jesus Christ and your tender love towards your devoted ones. So what was that? You walk into that church, what would you know them for? They got strong faith in God and they love one another. Next, the church in Colossians, or Colossae. Colossians 1.4, it says this, For we have heard of your devoted lives of faith in Christ Jesus and your tender love towards all of his holy believers. Again, similar to the church in Ephesians. This is a church that I want to be known for. A church that what? That has the faith in Jesus, but also has the tender love towards one another. Also, let me give you one more in 2 Thessalonians. So the church in Thessalonica, this is what they were known for. In verse 3, it says, We feel a personal responsibility to continually be thanking God for you, our spiritual family, every time we pray. And we have every reason to do this because your faith is growing marvelously beyond measure. The unselfish love each of you share for one another is increasing and overflowing. 
Now look at this, verse 4. He says, we point to you, church, in Thessalonica, when I go on my missionary journeys, when I go to different churches to speak, and when I go to plant a new one, what do I do? I point to you as an example of the unwavering faith for all the churches to look at. Look at the church in Thessalonica. Look what they did. Look what they went through. He says, we boast about you uh, to continue to demonstrate unflinching endurance through all the persecutions and painful trials that you are experiencing. So they're the poster child for what it looks like to stand strong in the midst of persecution. So he would say, look at them. Look what they're doing. This is what they did. This is what they stand on. Now, Again, you can even think locally. You can you know, list off a bunch of church within our city, our region, or our nation, and you could think blah, blah, blah about them. You could say this about them, whether it's by hearsay or by your own personal experience. But I, this is a question the Lord's been asking me. This is what I want impact to be known for. And I'm going to get into that a little bit this, this morning. And whereas we're kicking off a new series today called Different, what are we supposed to be known for? And I want to just paint a little bit of a picture here. But you and I, there is a unique assignment, just like every church that is called of God and birthed by God, there is a unique assignment and a unique anointing that is on every local house. Now, what is our unique assignment? Our unique assignment is to impact generations for Jesus. So because you call this place your home, anybody call this place their home? Guess what the anointing that you possess is? You are anointed to impact generations for Jesus. That's not just a once in a while Sunday thing that we do. This is the assignment, the collective assignment that God has given us as a family to actually do in our region, to do in our city. Clearly, God needs this church in order to do something to bring out a part of his plan that he wants to see fit. Okay. Now... Now, to accomplish this vision effectively, it is required that we as a church family, that we get into position within ourselves as individuals and also as a corporate family, that we are in sync with the Lord. Amen. Now, you know, anybody know what it means to get in sync? You know, anybody, you got your iPhone or Android or something like that? You plug it into your computer. What happens is it says syncing in process. And what's, what's taking place? is the, you know, the modem in your phone and the modem in your computer so that when you see open up your phone, you see it on your screen that this syncing starts to line up with each other, that ding, 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 it's in sync. Now anything that's connected that's on your phone is now on your computer. Well, Jesus was in perfect sync with the Father. Jesus actually said, when you see me, you see the Father. How can he say that? Because he was in sync with his father. He saw him, he heard him, he did whatever he saw his father do. Well, the same for you and I can be said of us that whenever you see me, you see him. How can I do that? I have to align myself with the house that I'm in and I need to go with where he's called me to go. You've seen me, you've seen him. This is what we're aiming for. Now, the way that the Lord is leading, you know, Jamie and I specifically as your pastors is this, is that, you know, I've been asking the Lord, Lord, what, what do you want? There's got to be more than what we're doing right now. What do you want? And so, you know, a lot of times, I know for my own personality, I like to see about eight or nine steps ahead. But this time, the Lord didn't do that. He said, I'm going to just give you a step. So this is our next step. Can you say it with me? Step. So we're going to just level off on this step until we got it. Okay, until we get it. Everybody okay with that? So I ain't playing church anymore. We're going to do this until we are established in it, until we actually see it. You can feel it. You're probably wondering, what's that step? It's not something glamorous or, you know, this brand new thing that's never been heard before. You know, you've got to be careful about hearing things that have never been said before. 
And I'll leave that there for right at the moment. Because there's nothing new under the sun. So what is the first step in fulfilling our assignment? And what does the Lord want this church to be known for? Here it is. Ready for the step? The step is this. A church that loves him and is hungry for him. Now why do I say that? Simply because what's happening now in the culture that we're in, churches in particular have been dumbed down to identify with all the COVID things that are going on. Are you a COVID church or a non-COVID church? Are you a masker or a no-masker? Are you a vaccinator or a non-vaccinator? All of these things and what's happening is trying to bring church down to this level. I don't care about any of that. What we're focusing on, what does the Lord want us to know? And I, I really want to bring this across because this is what I want Impact Life Church to be known for. Because it even said to me this back week, oh, we hear that you guys are allowed, you're, you're pro-choice. Not in regards to abortion or anything, but pro-choice in regards to masking. It's like, that's, that's what we're known for? That is not what we're supposed to be known for. I don't want to be known as that. Why? Because that is such a very low-level way of thinking. I want to be called up to a little bit higher than that. And this is what Impact's supposed to be known for. That we are a people, a church a family that is in love with Jesus and we are desiring him in a strong way. Okay. Now, again, like I said, in society, I mean, that's that COVID thing, but sometimes churches are known for their programs. They're known for their conferences. They're known for their location or crappy parking lots like what we used to really have problems with. Our styles of worship, the charisma of a pastor or lack thereof. All of these things. and not saying all of this stuff is great to have and the reason we have it and we do it is to eliminate distractions so that people can hear the word of God. Do you remember a couple of years ago, do you remember our sound system that we used to have? Oh, Lord, have mercy. It was beyond there and all of a sudden somebody, we actually had this happen. We had a couple of guest ministers come in that really operate in the gifts and all of a sudden in mid-word, she was giving a word and... What? What did she say? Well, the utterance had left. So that's why we have all these nice things so that when the worship team, they start flowing, they start operating, and all of a sudden they got a word from somebody rather than they go, oh, Lord, you're so good. <laughs> what just happened? That's why we take care of all these things, and that's why we even want the bathrooms to smell nice. Thank you. You're welcome. I, <laughs> absolutely. Why? Because even though the Lord looks to the heart, but people look to the natural. So that's why we still want to do things to the best of our ability because people still see fleshly things. So that's why we want to eliminate distractions. Well, why do we have to buy all these lights? To eliminate distractions. Okay. I'm just getting worked up here. Let's continue on. Now, this is what the Lord said to me. Joel, this is important that we emphasize this. Who we are is more important than what we do. Who we are is more important than what we do because who, when we get the who we are proper... What we do will be powerful. It'll be impactful. So this is why what we're wanting to do is what I want to take some time in is actually just dive into our culture a little bit. Culture is simply this. is those things that are, you feel it, you experience it, but you, nobody necessarily talks about it. And so this is what I want to do is I want to just kind of put my finger in it, stir it up a little bit, and then just get it out of there so that we understand what we're dealing with. But who we are is more important than what we do. Can you say that with me? Who I am is more important than what I do. Because if I get the, the, my being proper, what I do will be powerful as well. Now, it's not the Lord's intention that the Lord, that impact 
just be known for natural things. What a sad state that all of a sudden, you know, they, all of a sudden impacts thrown in the Bible here. And, oh, Impact Life Church. Oh, yeah, they had really good crepes back in the day. And uh, their parking did something. Would that be sad? That's not what the church is known for. Man, but we are called here on an assignment in this unique area with a, with a purpose and with a mandate from heaven to impact generations for Jesus. And how are we going to effectively do that? Collectively, as a group, but also individually, we are going to demonstrate, we are going to fall in love with this man Jesus and grow in our hunger for him. That when people even say, hey, have you heard of that impact? And you don't have to stop there and go, that's that hungry bunch. Those are the people that love Jesus. Yeah, yeah. yeah. that's exactly who we are. Absolutely, that's who we are. All right. Now, why am I bringing this up? Because, again, the Lord has ordained this year. This time in history is very strategic. Do you think the Lord knew about all this, what we're facing, what we're experiencing, what's happening all in the natural? Do you think the Lord is fabriclasted by any that's taking place? He saw it all. So I want you just to remember that for a sec. He knew it all. He saw it all. He's involved in, he, or he's not involved in all what's going on. He sees what's taking place, but at the same time, here are you and I, the church. And here's the good news, the church will never be shut down. You can't shut us up. You can't turn these doors off. Simply why? Because you can't shut down the church. And that's because people are standing up and people are saying, no, we're staying. It's because Jesus said the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. That's the only reason why we stand. That's why we continue to go. That's why. So it's not based on you and I doing something. It's based on him. Also remember this. Remember the church, when they were gathering in their homes back in the, in the book of Acts, they would gather together and who would come after them? The religious folk. Saul of Tarsus would come in, would arrest all those people, capture them, throw some in prison, kill some of them. And who stopped them? The head of the church stopped it. How? He stepped in because the church was in sync with him. Listen, we got to give God access. We have to continue to give access to whatever needs to be removed, what needs to be stopped. Because can you and I stop everything that's going on? No, but if we are in line and in sync with him, you bet we sure can. Okay, now, and the reason I'm bringing this up, because again, 2021, I don't want it to be identified as the, you know, the woke culture or that everything's being canceled or everything's just shutting this whole thing down. God had a strategic thought process and a strategic plan in mind before the foundation of the world. He did. So what do we do? We've got to understand what he's saying. So again, I want to just remind you of a few things that have been spoken, and I'll give you another just example for myself. But, you know, we know this, the family, the church is a family, correct? We understand that. But at the same time, the church is also an army. Now, in army, you have rank, you have order. God will never surpass and will never do anything outside the rank and the order. He will always, God is very decent, God is very orderly. He will not just all of a sudden do something without first, as we're going to see in Amos 3.7, first revealing it to his servants, the prophets. Why is that? Because God is rank. He's got, he's got order. He's got file. This is the way he does. God is not going to talk to a private and forget about the captain. doesn't work that way. The kingdom of God does not work that way. So you and I, this is why the other side of ministry, the other side of the church world is so crucial. And this is where you find a lot of people make mistakes. Romans chapter 10 really brings that out. That, you know, how beautiful are the feet of those who were sent out to bring the gospel. Now, there's a lot of people that were sent out. And there's a lot of people that just went. People that just went are of no helpful value of advancing the church's process. 
Why is that? It's because they're just doing their own thing. God does things in decent and in order. And even for my own self, I am submitted to authority. Did you know that I have people that are above me? I have a pastor. I have, there's those that are, I mean, I mean, of course, we got a board here, a natural board. Then I also have an advisory council, an advisory board that really tell me what not to do. <laughs> and I'm on the phone with them regularly. They say, hey, I'd say, you know, this is something that's coming up. What do, you, what do you think on that? They pray about that, and they would guide me and give me counsel. Of course, they say, you, you bring it to the Lord and do whatever. But at the same time, this is how the kingdom of God operates. And I just want to, I want to reiterate an example that I, that I, I personally heard and it was in regards to, there was, a, there was this couple, and the husband had stage four cancer, and they, they gave him out three or four months to live. And all of a sudden, so the, this husband and wife, the wife phoned this particular pastor, and the pastor said, hey, I want to talk to your husband. Put him on the phone. So the uh, husband grabs the phone. The pastor doesn't say, hey, how are you? What's going on? The first question he asks is, who am I to you? And the guy standing there says, sir, you are my pastor. And at that moment, the pastor said, the word of the Lord came to me, and I gave him a word, and he was healed that day. Healed, completely healed. Well, how does that work out? God doesn't do anything without order. Submitting to an authority. And I want to just remind that, and this also happened to me personally, where I remember, again, I was sitting at a, at a uh, meeting, and again, it's this, I'll just tell you the name. His name is Kenneth Copeland. You can Google him. You'll find a lot of trash about him, but none of that is true, just so you all know. How do I know that? Well, I'm, I'm really good friends with his grandson, and I get a lot of inf info on that, too. That's, that's a bunch of bunk. Don't listen to it. You can find bad stuff about anybody, so just don't Wikipedia. Don't look it in because it's all wrong. Anyways, I was at his minister's conference, and at that time, this was a couple of years ago now. This was, I think, 2018, and... Prior to this, this is about this is oh, mid-January, January 20th, around that mark. And I remember, so he came out on the platform, and he had a word from God just concerning that year. And as he was going, he kind of finished it off, and he said, hold on a second. He kind of stopped what he was doing. He said, there is a young man here, and I guess I should just, let me back up a little bit. When he was giving that word, I said, Lord, I submit myself, my ears, my eyes to hearing and seeing what this prophet of God is saying. I receive him as a prophet with a word from you. I receive that. So, I mean, he gave the word wonderful, powerful. And then a little bit afterwards, he stopped the entire meeting, about 1,300 pastors that were there. And he says, there is a young man here. You are skating on December 31st, and I see you in a, in a hockey injury. You hurt yourself. And that's where I was. December 31st, I was at my, my family's farm over there. We were on a dugout, and I, I missed a patch of ice. I stopped and rolled my ankle terribly painful. And then all of a sudden, he said again, I see a young man. You hurt your ankle. New Year's Eve, December 31st. And he says, just, the Lord says you're healed. Amen. I'm, I'm healed. I remember just sitting there, I'm like, I'm, I'm healed. Why is that? Submitting now myself to the authority. Now, Amos 3, 7, I want you to see this verse. He says, the Lord never does anything until he reveals his plans to his servants, the prophets. So for myself, I've received this gentleman as a prophet of God for my own life. Yes, I've done that. But now what I've also done over the past course of a little bit of time is I've also received his word, his position, his standing as a prophet of God for this local church. Can you do that? You bet I sure can. <laughs> I better, it's my, it's my job. I've submitted myself to this, and the prophet of God 
spoke these words for 2021. Are you ready for it? 2021 is the year of the local church. Do you believe that? That is our marching orders from our general. This is what he spoke. And I, as the pastor of this church, received that. I said, that's what it's going to be for like in this house as well. This is the year of the local church. I believe that. So what does that mean for us? And just simply in my own thought and just taking some time, just thinking on that. The year of the local church is what popped up in my heart is that there's more. There's more for you. There's more for this church. And what I mean more, I'm not talking about more materialistic things. I'm talking about I want the glory of God in a greater dimension than I've ever seen it or experienced it in my own life. I've had some great experiences, but I ain't seen nothing yet. I want more. The devil will have you think that the church is going extinct. He'll make you think that. There is not a chance. Why? Because there is no cap on the anointing. You can't put a limit on the anointing. So what we've done intentionally with our team here, that this is now the year of the local church. They're going to call it the year of the shutdown. This the continuation of the year of another COVID thing going on. No, no, no. Y'all, it stops here. This is not our year for more COVID. Well, how can you say that? Because God said, this is the year of the local church. You have to, this is what I mean. You have to open up your heart and say, I believe that. I receive that into my heart. You have to do something. When God speaks, it demands response. And no response is a response. So just go, oh yeah, no, I've, I've already heard that. Maybe you've already saw, I've already saw that. No, no, I'm taking that. This is the year of the local church for us. This is what we're going to see and what we're going to experience. I've actually even just said that. I did it again last night. Lord, I am, giving, I am willing to give control to, of the keys to Impact Life Church to get your marching orders. What do you want to do at this church? It belongs to you fully. So just so you all know, these are the hands that we're putting it in. It's him. I, I do not know how to run a church on my own, so guess what? we got to give it to him. Amen. So what are we doing? There's more. So where do we begin? And if I believe there's more, okay, Lord, I believe there's more. You believe there's more? Yes. Okay, so now what? Like, do you think God's done pouring out his glory? No. Do you think we've experienced all the good things we're going to experience? No. Have we read about all the amazing things that we're going to read about? There's got to be more. And you hear about all these prophecies that the, the, the former rain is going to meet with the latter rain. And at these end days, when the latter rain comes down, it's going to explode. You hear about these wonderful things. I don't want to just be a one that hears those things. I want to be in it. Anybody else want to be in it? Okay, that's what I want to be in. Thank you for those four that said yay. Now, so let's begin. This is just the foundation for what we want to talk about. So where do we begin we begin here by, first of all, taking our first step. I need to be known as someone who is in love with God and hungry for him. If somebody's going to say your name, what, should, what is the thought do you think that they have about you? They, hear your, they, they say your name, Joel Housing, what comes to your brain? I want it to be known of me. I'm going to do it to the utmost of my ability as one who is in love with him and who is more and more hungry for him as the days go on. That's what I want to be known for, not as Joel Housing, but at the same time, I want what this church is to be known for, that when people say, hey, impact, oh yeah, those are the people that really love Jesus. They're kind of crazy over there. They, they really love him. Yeah, we do. Absolutely, we do. And we're getting more and more hungry for him every day. Listen, y'all, this is the first step to what I believe. I don't know what the second step is yet, but I know it's going to be good because we get that first step. Guess what? Then it just goes higher from there. 
Okay. So Revelation chapter 1, let's look at here for a moment. This is going to be our platform for launching off talking about this series called Different. This is where we begin. And Revelation chapter 1 verse 20, I want to just preface it with this so that we understand what's being talked about. But how I many you know Jesus had messages? The book of Revelation isn't Old Testament. It's not necessarily New Testament. It's what's coming, <laughs> right? And the churches that you see or the letters that you see to the churches aren't just addressed to those particular churches. They're actually, well, of course, they, they impact those churches, but they're also for us. Because Jesus doesn't have different churches. He has one church. Now, we have many different unique assignments, absolutely. But what is our unique call? That's why I can't go to Google and say, what do we do for church? There'll be 101 different reasons of what to do. So we got to find what's our unique purpose and what's our unique call. Okay. So look at this here. This, this is very profound. Revelation 1 verse 20 says, The mystery of the lampstands and the seven stars is this. Right? So, I mean, through Revelation 1, you hear about these lampstands and these seven stars. So now he identifies what they are. The seven lampstands are the seven churches. And the seven stars in my right hand are the seven messengers of those seven churches. Now, I just think it's interesting. I want you to note that these messengers, they're not angels. You actually look at it the Greek. It's actually the pastor for these seven churches. Right? And who holds them in his right hand? The Lord does. And it's just interesting he calls them stars. Not in the sense of how we would think it with our North American mindset. Like a lot of times we got this Hollywood and this like Hollywood pastor. That is not a thing in the kingdom of God. There's no such thing as an all-star in the kingdom of God that, that doesn't exist. He uses the term star simply because stars, if you, even from a natural perspective, stars are very unique. They're all different shapes, sizes. They all have different um, levels of gas that they carry within themselves. And I don't mean some pastors are fatter or gassier. I don't, I don't mean any of that. But even just talking about lifespans. And like there's some pastors. There's a gentleman that I know that literally pastors only for a little while. And then he goes on to the next thing. More of an apostolic pastoral working. So he goes in, plants a church, moves to the next place, plants a church. And he sets pastors in place. So his, the way that he looks is he shines bright for a little bit. And then he puts somebody else in. Right? It's, it's just really unique. And all these, even naturally speaking, even the stars are very cool how they operate. Because again, based on how much gas that they're burning or operating in, sometimes you see like stars that will shine brightly for a season only to be replaced by the next one. And that's what you see even in a natural sense. You see transitions. We transitioned with Pastor John and Ingrid over five years ago now. Why was it? Well, it's not that they, they're, they're done, they're burnt out. That's, that's it for them. It's just a different assignment, a different call in which they're completing to this day. Right, And so what happens is that another one comes up, and at some point there's going to be a time where I'm going to have to transition over to the next star simply because my message, what God has called me to do, is needed for this time and in this season. And over time, I know this, I'm supposed to step out and the next supposed to come in. That's how the kingdom works. Nobody's better than ever. We all stand on the shoulders of the previous generation. But he says this. I just find it interesting how God operates. Now let's go to Revelation chapter 2 verse 1. He says this. Write the following to the messenger or to the, who's the messenger? The pastor of the congregation in Ephesus. So this now is a message from Jesus to this local church. Okay? Now he says, for these are the words of the one who holds the seven stars firmly in his right hand. And notice this, and he walks among the seven golden lampstands. Now I want you to, first of all, I'm not going to read all, jump down into the next verse quite yet, but I want you to see he walks among 
the seven golden lampstands. So can you see, read that last part with me? He walks among the seven golden lampstands. What are the golden lampstands? They're the churches. He walks among them. Our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, he doesn't just take a walk around the outside of the building to make sure the doors are open. He actually comes in and he stands in the midst and he walks to observe. He comes in to inspect. He comes in to contemplate, to probe, uh, probe and to uncover the true condition of each church. Why? Because Jesus is in love with his church and it's of great value to him. So he comes in to see how the troops are doing. Ever thought about that? So what does Jesus do every Sunday morning? What's he getting involved to doing? He doesn't stand outside the church. He comes right in and he's observing the way the troops are. Individually, but also collectively. He's checking in to see what's going on. This is a big deal. I remember I heard this word. I mean, it's through a CD or a tape. I don't know if you remember that. But there was a prophecy that was given. I don't know who the, the messenger was at this point now. But it was a lady had a prophecy. And she said, I see a man on a horse. He, I see him, I see him. People kind of, what, what, what? what? I, I see him, I see him. And it was Jesus riding his horse and he was going in and out of the aisles and he was checking in on every single person in that room. He was looking in to observe, to see where they're at, to see how the troop is doing. That's what he's doing. Now, he uses the term golden simply because this is the value that Jesus places on the church. People have so many opinions about the church. The world hates the church. <laughs> Why can't you close this thing down? You know, they hate it. And even that Christians talk bad about it. But I want you just to maybe have a different view of this. The way the Lord Jesus looks at his church, he sees it and he calls it gold. The golden lampstands. That's just showing the value that he places on it. And then not only that too, but then also the term lampstands really reveals to us the heart or really the purpose of why the church exists. Why does a lampstand exist back in those olden days? Uh, a lampstand were used or they were designated in certain areas to give light in the darkness. Their ability to produce light came from the, from the oil that each lamp contained. So today, the church is to be a light in the world but the ability to shine light depends on the Holy Spirit who indwells believers individually and corporately. So what do we do? It's a reminder for you and I, this lampstand, we are here to be the light, to bring truth. That's what we're here for. This is all just in this one verse. Now look at verse 2. Now he says this, I know. Everybody say, I know. How can Jesus say, I know all that you've done for me? How can he say that? Because he walks in and he checks the troops. I know all that you've done for me. Now listen all the things that this church has done. You've worked hard and you persevered. I know that you don't tolerate evil. You have tested those who claim to be apostles and proved they are not for they were imposters. We're all done. Like Jesus is commending them right now. Right? Next verse 3 he says, I also know. That you have already, or how you have bravely endured trials and persecutions. Why? Because of my name. Y'all, we are almost taking what's happening out here like a personal attack against you and I. It's not. They hate him. 
They hate Jesus with a passion. They won't necessarily come out and say it, but it's all geared. If you look at the very root of all this, it's love of money and their hatred for Christ, the anointed one and his anointing. They hate it. That's why it's called a spirit of anti-Christ. Not anti-Jesus. It's their anti-the anointing. They hate what the anointing can do. They hate that it can set people free. That's why you're not even allowed to talk about certain things anymore because it goes against. We want to keep people in their, in their dark, condensed, condemned state. Even bringing any kind of light or truth out. It, people, ah, what is all this? It's the anointing. And people f- run away from the anointing because the anointing destroys the yoke. What the devil can plan for years and years and years and years. The anointing in a, in a second can all of a sudden. I mean, I, I remember talking to a guy that was stuck in homosexuality. He said, man, I've been stuck in this lifestyle for years. He said, I came into a conference. I met Jesus. Gone completely. Completely gone. In a moment. I don't even have a desire for that old lifestyle anymore. How does that work? How does that happen? It's the anointing that does the work. So thank God for all this stuff. But the bottom line to all this is we need the anointing is what we're after. What's going to save my generation? The anointing. It's not just putting on like, oh yeah, we're nice and we do social justice things. That's great. That's fine. But the bottom line is we need the anointing of God demonstrated on a regular basis so that we can actually perform the works that Jesus told us to. This is our call. This is what we do. So I don't know about you, but I'm done playing church. I'm done with it. Doesn't work. It's not bringing anybody into the kingdom. What does this world need to see now? They need to see the demonstrations that you and I are here and intended to actually produce. Now, at this point, after verse 3, what does this church get? They get an A+. Right? Wouldn't you say? Hey, I know that you've done this. And he lists off five different things what this church has done. I look at it and go, man, that's, I'd take that grade any day. Are you kidding me? An A+. Whew, I was happy with a C+. A+, this is great. <laughs> but then I want you to look at verse 4. Up until this time, it's an A+. But now, verse 4. And why am I bringing this up? Because this is what we are supposed to be known for. Even the world. They hear about this. What do they know? They really love their God. And they're really crazy about him. Yeah. Absolutely you are. And I want to, a reason I want to bring this up because Ephesus is a perfect example of this. He says, but I have this against you. Now you look those up in the Greek. And Jesus is actually filled with emotion as he says these words. He says, I have this against you. It actually hurt him real deep. You have abandoned the passionate love you had for me at the beginning. Now, I want to take a little, I have, um, I enjoy doing some studies, for, especially with these, the, these churches there. It's phenomenal. And there's a book that I have. It's um, from a gentleman named Rick Renner. I don't know if you've heard of him or not. But he's got this, it's called Volume One. It's a, a light in darkness, and it's, well, it's only one of the volumes. It's only two churches. The book literally is, is that thick. It weighs 13 pounds, and it is filled with insight, with historical truths and facts, and then filled also at the same time with such grace and anointing on those pages that it'll bless you, that you actually get a real picture of what it was like when Jesus brought these words out. And so I actually just, I took a snippet of that, of that book, and I want you just to hear some of these words, especially from verse 4. Is that okay with you? Yeah. So listen to this again in Revelation 2, 4. Again, Jesus said, nevertheless, I have somewhat against you because you have left your first love. Okay. Now, that word love is the Greek word agape. Okay. And trying to explain agape in the English language 
it's not the easiest to do because simply we don't have the words to bring it up. But now I, I want you just to get your eyes fixed on this a little bit. Forget everything that's going out in the world right now. This is what Jesus is talking to you and I about right now. He says, agape occurs now when an individual sees, recognizes, understands, and appreciates the value of an object or a person causing him to behold this object or person in great esteem, in great awe, admiration, wonder, and sincere appreciation. Such great respect is awakened in the heart of the observer for the object or person he is beholding is compelled to love. Okay, I'm going to just keep going on this. It says, in fact, his love for that person or object is so strong it is irresistible. This kind of love knows no limits or boundaries in how far, wide, high, deep it will go to show love for its recipient. If necessary, agape love will even sacrifice itself for the sake of that object or person it is so deeply cherishes. Agape is the highest, finest, most noble, and most fervent form of love there is. Jesus used this phrase, first love, to remind the church in Ephesus of the esteem, the awe, the wonder, the admiration that was first awakened in their hearts for him when they received him as their savior many years earlier. Like young people who fall in love, the Ephesians fell hard when they first came to Christ. Their hearts were captivated with their love for Jesus. There were no limits to what they would surrender to him, no boundaries to their obedience. They were willing to sacrifice or leave behind anything to follow him. And in Acts chapter 19, you actually see the beginning of that church. The Ephesians church was birthed right there. The apostle Paul came on a missionary jersey, came to the city of Ephesus. There was 12 disciples there, the disciples of John. And he said to them, have you received the spirit of God since you believed? They said, we never even heard that there was a spirit to be baptized in. He preached the gospel to them, what Jesus has done. They got saved, filled with the Holy Spirit. And what happened? A church started right on that mark. And at that point, it just, it goes, it gets amazing what took place. And then I want to pick it up in Acts 19, verse 17. And in my Bible, it actually just talks about revival breaking out. This is it. Okay, it says, all the people in Ephesus were awestruck, both Jews and non-Jews, when they heard about what happened. And talking about what happened, what had happened at that time. If you read Acts 19, anybody remember this, the story of the seven sons of Sceva? These are guys that are, they're, they're exorcists, basically. They're trying to cast out demons out of people. And so these exorcists would walk up to this individual, and they say, we, we cast you out, demon, in the name of Jesus, who Paul preaches. Just for the record, that doesn't work. You need to know who Jesus is for yourself. Right? You can't go, man, in the name of Jesus, who Julian loves and appreciates. You get out of him. And you see what the result was. These seven sons, they, or the, the demon inside that man, they leapt up. They, he attacked those seven guys, stripped them naked, and out they ran. No, nothing happened. Still demon-possessed. So then the, the Ephesians, they heard of this. They were awestruck. And it says, great fear fell over the entire city, and the authority of the name of Jesus was exalted. Now listen. These are the same believers that we're reading in Revelation chapter 2 right now. It's only 30 years difference. Ready? Verse 18, many believers publicly confess their sins and disclose their secrets. Large numbers of those who had been practicing magic took all their books and scrolls of spells and publicly burned them. When the value of all the books and scrolls was calculated, it came to several million dollars. Then he says, the power of God caused the word to spread and the people were greatly 
impacted. Now, does the church need revival? I'm going to just say that one more time. I know I'm not doing this to prove you wrong. Does the church need revival? The answer is no. The world needs revival. Revival is for dead folk. What does it mean to be revived? It means you was dead, now you is alive. What does the church need? The church needs to be wakened up now to the call that they've had from the very beginning. Come on, y'all. You've been baptized in the Spirit of God. All power from heaven has been given unto you. If you were to say, God, we just need more power, he would have to look at you and say, where am I going to get it? Because where's the power? It is in the message of the gospel. And you've heard the gospel, and the very one who raised Jesus from the dead, Romans 8, 11 tells us, now dwells on the inside of me. I have the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead. We don't need to, I don't need to be woke up. I'm woke. I know God. I know what he did in me. What now do I need? I need an awakening to see what God has already done on the inside of me. And you find this, we're going to jump into this as these weeks go on. But the church doesn't need to be more dedicated. You don't find one scripture in there. Be dedicated, be dedicated, be dedicated. You know what fuels dedication? Revelation. When you get a glimpse of who he is, it causes you to give everything you've got and say, here, here, take it. Take it all. What do you want with my life? You know, the Apostle Paul in the book of Acts, that entire, his entire life, what we're reading today comes from one man's vision of Jesus. What you read in Ephesians, Colossians, Philippians, Thessalonians, when you read in Romans and all those, all those epistles, guess what it all came from? It came from one moment, one experience, one encounter with the Almighty God. And these are the questions that the Apostle Paul had. Who are you, Lord? And what do you want me to do? Those are the two questions that every believer is wanting to be answered. Who are you and what do you want me to do? When he asks you the first one and you get revelation on the first one, the second one becomes easy. When I understand who he is, it causes me to step out and do what I'm supposed to do. This is my job. Who are you, Lord? And what do you want me to do? And this is what we see from the Apostle Paul. What you and I are reading is not just a dedicated man who loved God even to death. We are here with a man who has preached his message, who preached his encounter with Jesus to the King Agrippa and Caesar himself. And at the end of his life, you don't go, you actually read in Acts chapter 26, he doesn't go, I'm just real tired. I'm just real burnt out by everything that's happened to me. Shipwrecked, beaten, just stoned to death. And, all this. and finally get able to get it over to you guys. No, he stands in front. He says, I am one happy man. Why does he say that? Because the Lord told him many years before, you are going to stand in front of kings and proclaim my gospel to them. He says, I consider myself to be very fortunate to be standing before you, King Agrippa. And then he got to go to Caesar himself. Man, that's powerful. But this is what it is. You and I, we don't need to be revived. You are revived. You are alive. Are you not? Say it, I'm alive. Where am I? I'm alive in Christ. That's, who I, that's where I am. He's caused me to sit with him in heavenly places. What do I need now? That's why Paul prayed the Ephesians prayer. He said, God, I'm asking that you give them a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you. So this just means everything that Paul experienced wasn't just for Paul. It was, means that it comes out of revelation knowledge. The same revelation he got, I can get because God is no, doesn't show favorites. So you and I, rather this is the whole part of getting different, coming from another realm. I don't live based off what I see here. I'm living based off the revelation that he gave me. That's what I live off of. And this is what's going to cause tremendous change in our country, is living off of revelation knowledge. 
This is what we stand on. This is how we win, is this is how Jesus builds his church. So the gates of hell will not prevail against it, meaning what? Yeah, it's like, okay, the church isn't, we're gonna just stand here and just keep going. The church stands and continues to go forward. How? On revealed knowledge of our Christ. Oh, okay. Let me go back to this. I cried the first service. Now I'm just getting pumped the second service. Okay. In this early active public repentance, I want to just bring this back now to the, the Ephesian church. These people, they amputated every connection to the past that would hinder their new lives in Christ. The repentance of these new believers was so deeply rooted in their hearts that it produced a radical, far-reaching, profound transformation that completely altered their way of living. They were fervently in love with Jesus and completely sold out to him with no sorrow, no regret, and no reservation. Here's my stuff. Burn it. I'll burn it. It doesn't hurt your heart. Burn it. Do you not like it? Get rid of it. I don't want it anyway. Why? They were so deeply moved by him. And I feel the church has gotten so distracted by what's going on out here. And he's going, y'all, get back in line with me. Stay synced to me. Keep that love connection on. Why? Because when I'm experiencing not only his love, but I'm loving him back, God's able to do mighty things through me. Why? Because I know God loves me. There's nothing he would do for me. But when I realize that God loves the people that are acting stupid out there, there's nothing that God wouldn't do through me to reach them. They're not my enemy. I don't care how stupid they may be. They are the ones that Jesus spilt his blood for that i got to reach. Yeah. This is our assignment. Yeah. And as long as we keep playing games or keep going on sides, are you on this side or on that side? We're missing the point. Church, we got to get this. We're missing the point. Yeah. I'm all against what they're trying to do out there. Don't get me wrong. It is wrong. It's demonic. I get it. But I love Jesus more than I hate what's going on out here. So rather than trying just to stop here, I'm trying to bring in here comes from a higher level because every time the Bible even tells us don't fight evil with evil fight evil with good how do I bring in good I have to see it I have to see it and right now I haven't been seeing it I've been so distracted and ticked off by everybody that I'm missing all of what he's trying to do that I just walk around in hateful on the inside why are you like this how dare you ask me to do that what you want me no I'm not doing that you idiot it just builds up it builds up and meanwhile God's going I need you I need you Okay, by the time now, let me just get back to this, the Ephesians. By the time John saw the exalted Christ on the island of Patmos, and he penned these words that Jesus said, 30 years had passed since they first repented, and now Jesus gave them this warning. Your love, y'all, your love, the first one you have left. I would not, I do not want that said about my life. That the Lord has to look, Joel, hey, you did this good, you did this, you did this, you did that. Thank you for staying collected. Thanks for staying strong. Thanks for staying steady. But I have this against you. You left your love for me. I don't want that said about me, nor do I want it said about this church. That when the Lord looks at this church, he doesn't go, oh, I wonder what they're thinking about COVID-wise. I want him thinking, oh, there's a people that loves me. I want to bless his heart while people are cursing him using the very breath that God put into them, they exhale it out back at him, these insults, profanity, abuse, slander. They just curse and throw up all over him. I want my words now to be a joy and a delight that every time I open my mouth, he goes, thank you. That's my Jesus. He died for me. 
So I give him my all. The Ephesians were still committed to Christ. Now listen to this. They were still so committed to him, doing everything for his name's sake. They no longer had a deep passion and fervency for him that once consumed their hearts. Over the years, as they became more established in their teaching, their simple but profound first love had dissipated even though they never stopped faithfully serving him. Then he says this, this was all still remarkable church. The fervency, like it was growing by leaps and bounds. Ephesians church was the biggest church at that time. Huge numbers came to Christ. This was a remarkable church, but the fervency that characterized this body of believers in the past was missing. It was for this reason that Jesus was so deeply disturbed about what he saw when he was walking in their midst. The blazing fire that once characterized these believers had gradually waned until it became little more than a smoldering flame. If this could happen to the church in Ephesus, it must be taken as a warning for the church at large in every generation. We must regularly allow the Holy Spirit to search our hearts and reveal whether or not we are still on fire for the Lord as we once were. That's the question. Listen, y'all, I'm not saying this just because of the season that we're in, but I am saying it because of the season we're in. When I stand before the Lord, he's not going to ask, how did I handle the restrictions? He's not going to ask, what did you do with it? That's not going to be the question. He's going to ask me, did you keep the love turned on? Now, it's not to say that freedom rallies. I'm not saying any of that. That's good. You do what the Lord tells you to do. I'm all for freedom. Jesus purchased my, I'm all for it. But what I'm making sure that while I'm doing, while I'm standing, I, my fervency of love is not just a smoldering flame over here when I'm boiling hot towards something like this in the natural. I got it reversed. I have to be so hot for him. And then, yeah, I do this as well. It's a secondary thing. This is my first. He walks around in the midst. Now, as I said, we must regularly allow the Spirit of God to search our hearts and see where we were. It may be a painful revelation to realize that we have become doctrinally sophisticated yet powerless. However, if we are willing to remember from where we have fallen and then repent, we can be spared the tragedy of becoming irrelevant to our generation. So when I read this, this was birthed on the inside of me. Joel, irrelevance begins when your passion for the Lord has dwindled to a smoldering flame. My relevance is based upon how turned on, how in love, how hungry I am for him. That's what you see out here. Like when you see people that are enthusiastic about their walk with God, that they just worship with everything. It, what does it do to you? It blesses you. It stirs you up. And if it offends you, it's because something's off in you. You go, why do they have to dance like that? They're not doing it for you. They do it for him. Why do we have to sing like that? do it for him and if you think it's about you then you got another thing coming this ain't about none of y'all it's not about me it's not about you it's about him and that's what I'm even doing as myself as a parent is that I'm introducing my kids to Jesus I've been corrected and re-corrected again that I have to keep this turned on because listen I, I come from man, my grandparents when they accepted the Lord it was a it was a powerful it was a powerful testimony remember like my dad kind of recalls it he says yep 
Like he came back and his parents said, we're Christians now. Oh, okay. What does that mean? But man, even to this day, my Oma is one of the most hungry people that I've ever met for the Lord. She sends me YouTube videos of preachers and says, man, listen to this. This was so good. I love that. But even to the day, it was Jesus in the morning, Jesus at noontime. What else, Oma? Jesus at nighttime. And anytime she was awake. I remember when she would babysit us. I'd come home late at night and all of a sudden I'd catch her in a chair. She spooked me out a couple times. Ah, Oma. <laughs> think that cute four foot twelve woman over there can't hurt you she'd whoop you man she'd do some damage but it was always Jesus everything we talk about it always goes back to him oh am I having a bit of a rough time yeah but God is so good all the time so but listen that comes so that generation experienced just like the Ephesian church a powerful conversion they threw everything they had they threw their porn they threw their drugs they threw their oh they threw everything that he didn't like and they threw it all out and said I don't want it anymore I amputate that part of my life. I'm, I'm done with it. Why? Because I get him. I, I got you. Oh, are you kidding me? I get to have you. And that's where I'm even being convicted, even in my own life, in my own self. It's Joel, some of these things, you got to amputate. Stop it. That's not who you are anymore. And it's for the sake of, I, I get him. So now, what does the sinking process begin? I'm going to finish it right here. In John chapter 17, where does the beginning, the sinking process happen? Again, we're looking at that phone and our computer. We want them to line up so that it's mirrored. What is seen on my phone is seen on my computer and vice versa. This is what I want. This is what I want for my personal life. This is what this church is going to be. We are going to be in sync with him. We are going to mirror him in a profound way that people will be drawn here, not because you just simply invited him. They'll be drawn because you love him and you're hungry for him. Don't people, don't, who cares what they think? Honestly, this is, this is huge. If you would just stay so in love with Jesus, they'll be actually attracted to who you are. You wouldn't even have to say a word to them. You could just simply live your life and they would go, something different about you. What is that? It's him. John 17, verse 14 through 16. Let me look at this. This is the sinking process. Jesus said this, I have given them your message and that is why the unbelieving world hates them. Why does the world hate you and I? It's because of whose message? His message. They hate you because of his message. So what are you? You, in fact, are a message carrier. That's why the Lord saved you. He redeemed you, took you out of the kingdom of darkness and brought you into the kingdom of God's dear son. Why? So that you would carry a message Your testimony of how God delivered you, how God rescued you, how God redeemed your life and turned it all the way around and put you on solid ground, that's your message. That's your testimony. And it says the world's going to hate you because of it. But some will actually surely appreciate it. Those that are called to come alongside and be in the kingdom. But now notice this part. Here's where the, the amputation begins and the sinking process starts. He says, for their allegiance is no longer to this world. So what's the, what's the first step? I'm falling more in love with him. I'm getting more and more hunger for him. I need to amputate anything in my life that is not pleasing to him. We've already chosen as believers. We already said, I want heaven over hell. Did we not? Now the next thing that we have to sever is, I want heaven over the world. Church, we can't, I can't have both. I want everything he's got. And of course, it's going to bless me and benefit me and do great things. And even if they were going to take it all away, I would be so fine. Why? Because I have him. 
that is where we stand. And that's where you read in the Bible, talking persecution, that's persecution on a whole other level. They take your house away, they take your car away, they take your couch away, they take your dog away. They take it all. Even if they did all those things, even try to take my life, I continue to stand. Why? Because I have him. My last breath down here is my first breath there. What's the worst that happens? You go kaput. Done. That's the worst? Bring it on. Death, where's your sting? Why? What do I do with death? I just, see ya. And I just fall on over and enjoy myself up in that presence. But this is where the amputation begins. And this is where now the sinking process starts. Is that my allegiance is no longer connected to this world. Or my loyalty, my commitment is no longer attached to this world. You know, can I read one more verse and I'll promise I'll be done. Hebrews eleven thirteen. This is good to remember. But you read about all these heroes of faith. Hebrews 11 talks about all these powerful men and women of God who did tremendous things. And it says this, these heroes all died still clinging to their faith, not even receiving all that had been promised them. But they saw beyond the horizon the fulfillment of their promises and godly and godly or gladly embraced it from afar. Notice the last sentence. They all lived their lives on earth as those who belonged to another realm. Where are you? I'm from another realm. I'm not from this realm. I'm in this world, but this world does not dictate and tell me how I'm going to enjoy my life. What dictates it is my revelation knowledge of who my Jesus is. Not what I think he is, who he has revealed himself to be. Amen? So this morning, what I wanted to do, just we did it again this morning, and I want to... I want to rededicate our lives, if that's okay with you. I'm not asking anybody walk away from God. This is your this is your help. You don't have to raise your hand. <laughs> but if this morning I would like to rededicate our lives to Him, with the intention of going, I don't want to be so knowledgeable about the Word that my love for You has dwindled to nothing more than a little bitty flame that can be blown out like that. Not a chance. So can we do that this morning? So Father, we do come before You in complete awe and wonder of who you are, Jesus, and what you've done for us. Father, I'm sorry if I've ever, ever done this, where I've taken your word and tried to get so much knowledge or information that I left my complete passion for the one who wrote it and lived it. Father, I'm I'm sorry that I've ever used Sunday morning just as an excuse to do my time with you. Father, I can see that's not what it's about. You came for a relationship, and I'm choosing to turn to you, sir, and completely open myself up, completely expose myself to you so that you can have your way in my heart and in my life. So, Father, that you can do a work in me so that I can now do an impact in others. Father, I receive your love. I thank you. You are gentle. You're a gentle surgeon. That even in your probing, you just reveal truth. You reveal light. Father, we just say here, we embrace the light. I embrace correction. Can you say that with me? I embrace the light. I embrace correction. And Father, we do that because we get you. We do love you with all of our hearts, with every part of our being, Father, and we are continuing to grow in our hunger for you today. In Jesus' precious name.